Last week, I was riding down um, that little cut-through road, I guess south, southwest 20th, maybe, the road that comes behind the VA hospital and comes back into Archer Road. Somebody will tell me exactly what the name of that road is. I've only lived here 20 years. But as I was at a stop sign there, um, stop light, rather, I saw a man with a little sign. You've seen these guys all over town. Um, we'll work for food. Anything helps. God bless you. And we see those sorts of signs and people with them all over uh, Gainesville and I'm sure all over the country. Um, I don't know in some cases if they are truly willing to work. Um, I do have a hilarious story about one time handing a, a little bag of socks and, and cracker snacks to some guy and he threw it over his head and, you know, kind of cussed me out and my kids thought it was hilarious. But, um, but I know that some of them are definitely in need. Uh, legitimately, and we know that there are people in our community that are legitimately in need. You probably are, are familiar with the term uh, food insecurity. It's a real thing. There are food deserts, places where in, in cities, and even in Gainesville we have it, where certain segments of our population do not live within five miles of a grocery store. And so their, their only options are places like convenient food stores, which of course don't sell very healthy things, as, as the medical folks in the room will tell us. I myself have never been physically hungry, except of my own accord, fasting, and I'm thankful for that, and then uh, hiking. And there are lots of stories of me being hungry hiking, mostly of my own to do. I once begged a woman for some uh, sour cream and onion potato chips. I was so hungry. I don't like sour cream and onion potato chips. I ate them up like, you've, like it was a steak dinner. I was so hungry. But even though I can't relate to physical hunger in the sense that the people that are, are Jesus is ministering to here and the, and the crowds are familiar with, I, I, I empathize with them as they're listening to Jesus because some of the things he's saying are quite difficult to understand. And, and, and I'm going to be looking at that John 6 passage for the little guys in the room, the fourth graders who are, are starting to take notes on the sermon. We're going to be looking at John 6, but not just the verses I read, really thinking about that whole chapter. But Jesus, early on in that chapter, he talks, he, he actually feeds the 5,000 plus. We know that there are women and children that are not numbered in the count. He feeds them uh, with you know, a very small amount of bread and fish. And, and, and then, he, and then he, he gives them that. And, of course, the people begin to relate to Jesus as being like Moses, who, who gave them the manna from heaven in the Old Testament. And, and they get really excited because they think, okay, second coming of Moses. Here, he, here we, we're going to be taken care of. But then Jesus turns around and he chastises them for not seeing the signs that he's giving, but rather just concerned about filling up their bellies. A little confusing, Jesus. You just fed us, and now you're complaining because we're, 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 we're coming to you because you filled our bellies. Later on in this chapter, Jesus begins to tell them that they should not work for food that will perish, but to rather work for, for food that will last into eternity. And then when they ask him about what those works look like, he says, the work of God is to have faith in the one whom God has sent. It's like, well, Jesus, that really doesn't answer my question. Now, how, then what are the works of God that I'm to do? He continually frustrates them, I think, in terms of trying to answer the questions that they're asking. Um, now, don't get me wrong. The people are a bit obtuse in the situation. Jesus miraculously crosses the Sea of Galilee without a boat 
And all they want to know is, when did you get here, Lord? Not how did you get here, because they're, they're, they're sort of blinded. They like what they like about Jesus. He feeds us, but they're blinded to the things that he's trying to say to them that are harder to understand. Lastly, we come to the passage that we read this morning, this most difficult of passages where Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And it's just hard to get our minds around it. And Jesus doesn't fully explain how we accomplish that. How is it that we are to eat your flesh and drink your blood? For a first century Jew, this would have been horrifying to think about taking any blood if you know anything about Jewish law, they separated the blood. But, but then to, to say that, that here's Jesus who, for, as far as they know, is, is fully human. And, and, they, and he's to, we're to drink his blood. What, what in the world does this mean? And Jesus doesn't give them a complete answer. Well, we're going to look at chapter 6 today. And, and I will invite you to go back and, and review this chapter. There's a lot there. If you've got the Pew Bible in front of you, it might be a great idea to pick it up. I'm not going to go verse by verse because it's quite a long chapter. As a matter of fact, it's covered over four Sundays in, in this season of the, of the church year. But, but I want to tell you a little bit about what I think I understand about this passage and what the Lord might want to say to us this morning. First of all, I want to say that God cares about our physical needs. God is not unconcerned with this, our physical well-being, with whether or not we have food, and whether or not we're safe, whether or not we're, we're whole and healed. God cares about this, these physical needs right now. This morning, Jody's Godfather is ill, and, and we're intercessing for him. We're praying for him. The Lord cares for his physical needs. And it's clear because... Jesus does feed the 5,000 plus. God does provide the manna in the wilderness for the children of Israel. He, he does meet their physical needs. He, he cares for those things. It, it is the, the connection between Jesus being the bread of life comes right out of the Old Testament. You have eaten the bread that came down from heaven is the way the Old Testament writers put it. Jesus cares for the physical needs of the people Years ago, I was privileged to speak to a, um, a theologian from India. His name was Mangalwadi, I believe is how you pronounce it. He wrote a book on William Carey, the, the, the uh, 19th century uh, missionary. William Carey did much for India. I know there's a lot of, we could talk about colonialism all day long, but he, but he did a lot of things. And, and Mangalwadi was saying, we, we impoverish the gospel when we don't understand the physical aspects of the way that the gospel brings prosperity. It brings healing. It brings wholeness. It brings economic opportunities, all these sort of things. And, and I don't discount that. I think that is very true. Jesus says, you, in Matthew chapter 6, I believe it is, he says, you worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. Your Father in heaven knows that you need these things. But then Jesus goes on to say, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. The Lord cares for our physical needs. I know that to be true. But secondly, in John 6, we hear Jesus pointing out that God, he is also aware that we have this tendency to focus exclusively on our physical needs with ex to the exclusion or exclusively to our physical needs and miss essential things. 
things that are more essential even to bread. And believe me, I love bread. Jesus, in fact, is saying in Alex's translation, when the people come across the river, across the, the Sea of Galilee to find him, and they're asking him for, for signs, Jesus basically says, you just want me to care for you physically. You just want me to keep you well and keep your bellies filled. And Jesus emphatically says, I have not come just to fill your bellies, just to keep you physically safe and well. I have come from much much more. And he goes on to explain to the, in this chapter that, that he is not like Moses. They think it's Moses that's given them the bread from heaven. Jesus says, no, I, I am the bread that's come down from heaven. And it's my father who gave it to you, by the way, not Moses. And, and I am like the father. Jesus is saying, all that I'm doing in the physical is pointing to something beyond itself. Not to the exclusion of the physical, Jesus does fill the belly. He does feed the 5,000. God does feed the, the, the children of Israel and the, the manna in the wilderness. But it's always pointing to a spiritual meaning that is beyond, including but beyond the physical. And Jesus says, you've missed those signs. Jesus says, like he says to the, the Samaritan woman at the well in chapter 4, he says, I can give you living water that you will never thirst again. I can give you bread to eat that you will never hunger again. I, will give you, I can give you bread that will last into eternity and that you will never lose. Jesus is calling the crowds that have followed him across the lake to understand the spiritual that is added to the physical that he sees. The third thing I understand, I believe, is that we have a human tendency to focus on and worship the blessing rather than the blessed. In other words, the blesser, the Lord. Our tendency is to worship the blessing and not the blessed. I think we could all examine the the godly heritage of the United States and, and those who came seeking religious freedom, and yet how we twist that, the, the blessings of, of, this, of, the, of the country God gave us to, into, into a, a, a worship of material things and prosperity and economic opportunity, and on and on and on we go. We tend as human beings, not just as Americans, to worship the blessing rather than the blessed, the giver of all good things. God gives us all good things. Jesus isn't saying don't work. Jesus isn't saying don't desire bread. But he is saying don't let your life be consumed with chasing bread. 2010, we took a, a, a mission trip to Turkey, to Ankara, to be with Brent McHugh and, and his wife, um, Kim McHugh. And, and we went to bless them who were working with uh, Iranian refugees in Turkey. A byproduct of that trip was that I discovered that Middle Eastern bread is by far the bre best bread in the entire world. If you've not traveled to, and that's actually Asia Minor, but, but you, the breads that comes out of that region of the world are just incredible. And I found myself, true confession, 
looking forward to every time we got to go out because I wanted to see what unique type of twisted bread, yummy bread with this sort of a salsa thing that they would bring out to you. I didn't want to eat anything else. I just wanted to eat of the bread and the salsa and then go on to the next restaurant. I found myself just, I fell in love with the bread of turkey. Good stuff. But don't we do the same thing? We chase bread. Maybe it's not the physical bread, but it's something like bread. Maybe it's security. Maybe it's political justice. Maybe it's, it's prosperity or fame or good reputation or the admiration of others. Maybe it's the love of some special people that we care most about. Don't we chase after all sorts of breads? Where was it? At some point in our, in our history, in our culture, we used to refer to money as bread. Right? I got to get some bread. What, what time period was that? Isn't it interesting that colloquially we, we use the term bread to refer to money? Because oftentimes that's the thing that we, we, that's the bread we chase after, isn't it? Now when I was a young Christian, I was probably 16, I was just distraught because I read about the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus and, and Jesus, he says to Jesus, what must I do to follow you? And Jesus says, you must... You must give up all, all your possessions. You must sell everything, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And I was petrified that, that Jesus was going to call me to be poor and to, and to be like St. Francis, you know, just living off of begging and, and like that occasion in the woods where I was begging the woman for the uh, sour cream and onion potato chips. And ultimately, I wrestled with that scriptures, and, and we all wrestle with certain scriptures early on in our Christian life. But ultimately, I concluded that God is not calling everyone to give up all they have and be poor, because then every Christian would be impoverished. But rather, he's calling all of us to allow him to take anything from us that he chooses. And in some ways, that's even harder, because if you're poor, there's nothing to be taken But if you've got things that you're holding loosely that the Lord can give and take as he chooses, it's somehow much more difficult in a way. I've told you before probably the story of this young guy that came to me and he he wanted to become a lawyer so that he could get more money to give more money to God. And my question for him was, how much are you giving to God now? And he said, well, I can't give much because I don't have a lot of money. I go, well, if you can't give a little now... It's going to be really hard to write the big check later on. We are called to hold all that the Lord gives us loosely and not let our lives be consumed with chasing bread, whatever that looks like for you. The big point I believe that Jesus wants us to take away from John 6, and there are Hear me, there is a lot here. That's why it's four, chapter, four different weeks of, of lessons. But, but I think the big point is that Jesus is pointing to himself as being the source of true life. Life that matters. Life that's eternal. Now and into eternity. 
Jesus is pointing to himself. And what he says this morning about consuming his body and his blood, everything he says about being the bread of life, everything he says about those the Father gives him, everything he's doing in the miracles and the walking across the, the, the lake, all of it is pointing to himself as being the source of real life. And the challenge is for us to trust him, whether our belly is full or empty, whether we're sick or well, whether we're content or if we have great need, whether we're full of joy or full of suffering, grief, and sorrow. When I fast, and I'm not very good at fasting, but when I practice the discipline of fasting, I realize that it sets me free from my dependence upon food. And I've actually experienced this in the woods. I used to hike, and I, that was my, my greatest fear was being hungry. That's why I was begging chips. But I've learned that, that learning to live through the, the need and not just satisfy that physical need for food, in fact, has taught me to be dependent upon the Lord. It's really crazy. It's, it's a, a physical that has a spiritual implication. Giving away some of my money has taught me to be less dependent upon money to be the solution for every problem in my life. Don't get me wrong. I'm grateful that I have more money than I had 10 years ago. But I'm also grateful that I've learned to give away some of money that I would not put my ultimate trust in my bank account, in my 401k. It's a physical that has a spiritual implication. When I come to this rail and I receive by faith the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, when we're able, (laughs) by faith I am sustained in the Lord. I am strengthened and a grace is imparted that allows me to walk out here and live for Christ in a renewed way. It's a physical that has a spiritual implication. Regardless of how I'm feeling, in all three of those cases actually, Jesus calls us to allow him to sustain us. Because in him we can rejoice in our suffering. In him we can be thankful in the face of disappointment. When Jody and I got sick, we had to cancel all three of our kids and their spouses and that precious little grandson. We told them they couldn't come visit us in Gainesville. But the Lord is teaching me to be thankful for what he's given me and to let him be the one who sustains me and not chase after bread. I didn't get to share with you guys about summer camp these little girls over here were at camp, a few others in the room. These guys over here were at camp. Let me tell you, one of these guys back here, a couple of these guys back here were at camp. Let me tell you, at summer camp, I saw something incredible. I saw kids who had missed camp the year before and that were willing to wear masks and into a room and sing at the top of their lungs to Jesus and dance and rejoice. 
I saw kids, it was like I was a professor. At the end of my D group talks, there would be a group of kids that would come up and they want to ask me follow-up questions. It was crazy. It was like I was in seminary and I was watching, you know how the, some certain kids would come up and talk to the professor afterwards? That was like the kids wanted more. When we shared on Friday night about the highlights of camp, over and over again, it was the worship, the worship. I saw kids hungering and thirsting for Jesus and learning that he is the bread of life. We were privileged to baptize a young girl from Jacksonville with her parents' permission, and, and it's a complicated story, but I've never seen someone shake with joy at the opportunity to be baptized among her friends and her camp family. Folks, I'm telling you, I've seen these kids hungering and thirsting for Jesus, the bread of life. Christ gave his blood and his body for us on the cross, for you and for me, that believing in him, we might receive the life that only he can give. Jesus is the one essential thing we need. He is what we need to flourish. And he offers himself to us today. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we, we're sometimes confused by what Jesus shared. We, we struggle to understand and to unpack all of the, the wisdom and the knowledge that you give us the opportunity to respond in the physical and to understand, Lord, that you're doing something beyond the physical and the spiritual as well. Lord, we pray that you will strengthen our faith this day, that we might seek after you the living water, the bread of heaven, and that we might learn the lesson that you alone are essential. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.